This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome to episode 50 of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett, CSW. And I'm not. not. Joining us today at the house that doesn't exist in the middle of the desert, uh, in bright, deserty Nightvale, I mean, Sunsights, Arizona, I've got Gary and his wife, Lisa, and we are drinking the... Sweet wine from Tennessee. It has a name, but it is a sweet wine from Tennessee. The White Zinthiana Blush from Amber Falls Winery and Cellars. Uh, no vintage listed. Zinthiana sounds like it could be a Disney princess name. That would be a good Di- Disney princess name. She's probably of color, though. So. Oh, darn. Oh, I, she's I would... the villain in Frozen 2. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I derailed us really fast. No, that's okay. No, Zinthiana does sound... Well, I've always said that Zinfandel sounds like the name of an elf from Lord of the Rings. To the point where I actually named a sorcerer character in the D&D campaign, Zinfandel. Uh, and his last name was Elvish for Boomstick. I cannot remember what it was in Elvish, but anyway. Hey, Lisa. Yeah? Are you from Tennessee? No. Because you're the only 10 I see. Oh, brooch. Sorry. Couldn't resist. I still have my shirt on, too, guys. <laughs> I'm not sure what that has to do with Tennessee, but... Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) so Zinthiana uh, is a relatively new cross. It is a hybrid, not hybrid, uh, well, kind of hybrid because, well, this gets into the nebulous category of of grape genetics because one of the two grapes that was involved in this cross is technically a hybrid, and that would be uh, Norton, also known as Cynthiana, which is Labrisca something else and Vinifera. And of course, Zin is full Vinifera. Zin, by the way, as I think I've mentioned in an earlier podcast, is the same grape as Primitivo, which is the same grape as Tribadog in Croatia. So this rosé is a really nice sort of coppery color. And it smells and tastes like a really fun pie. Yeah. Like you made an apple pie, but you made it with peaches. Like apple peach pie with a little bit of like cinnamon baking spice. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have so much of the apple aroma that you would get from an apple pie. The apple, to me, is more on the palate than the nose. But it just stinks of peaches in a great way. Yeah. (sighs) To talk about the label, I'm going to phone in a friend here. Shit, we should have had her on the phone for the whole thing. But she's not drinking, though. Oh, shit. Or not drinking this with us, anyway. But I sent some pictures to Megan, Vinny Vidi Drinky, who, of course, is our judgmental graphics design artist well hello well hello hi hi so tell us what you think of this label so okay is there is there like a meaning to this that they've said on the back of the label that i couldn't read or anything or it's just they just wanted some like cranes or something uh i think those are actually tricolored herons well, you would know. <laughs> um, of course I would know. So so I will read the back for you, uh, as well as also for those of you uh, listening to the podcast at home. 
Amber Falls Winery and Cellars is pleased to offer you this carefully crafted wine from the newly developed Zinthiana grape. Originating through research at UC Davis, resultant merging of Zinfandel, a California grape, with Cynthiana, a Midwest East Coast grape, created the very special Zinfandel hybrid grape, which grows successfully in the mid and eastern part of the U.S. As pioneers in both the viticulture and vinification of the Zinthiana grape, we feel that this wine will quickly become a favorite. So absolutely nothing about birds. Nothing about birds. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's very Asian to me. I don't know why, but whatever. But no, I actually really like this label. I like the design of the birds. I like the fonts that they used and the colors that they used. I really like that they, they put like a gold. It looks kind of ha- like it has like a gold, I don't know, gold leaf, gold flake kind of look to it. It I does. Know, not what it is, but yeah. But like I like those accents. I think that's really nice. Um, the, the Amber Falls font is beautiful. And I got really excited earlier because I really like that they took the F in Falls and tied it into the and symbol between winery and cellars. Yeah, that is oh cool. God. Oh, I love that kind of stuff. So I really like this label. I think it's nice. Um, I don't, I think the only thing I don't like is the, the little bottom bit that says American Blush Wine. Like, that's boring, and I feel like it's very distracting from the beauty of the rest of it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this label. Even despite the papyrus on the back? The, oh, hold on, let me, let me pull that up again. You know, I mean, it's, okay, the back, I guess, is a little lame with the, with the, yeah, the, the papyrus on there, but... It's not offensive. It's it doesn't fit. I feel like with the other two fonts that they used, but it's not horrendous. You know, it's not terrible. It's not exciting. But I mean, I like the front. I love the front. I think the front's fabulous. The back, yeah, could could have used a different font, but it's still it's not. I don't know. It's not terrible. Yeah, I, I think you. It does look sort of very. Uh... Chinese or Japanese, this front label, which I think is cool. And I wish I knew uh, what the emblemation, emblemation, why herons? Yeah, I, maybe, maybe they have those in the, like, by where they are, you know, maybe they've got, because I mean, I know I've got, I've got those up here. I've watched a few of them walk around in my yard before, I'm pretty sure. I just don't understand why their heads are red. Because they're thing? tricolored herons, not great blue herons. Oh, they're well, a different species. Fine. fine. Okay. Well, either way, <laughs> their heads are red because they're pretty that way. <laughs> they're more pretty that way. I'm a sucker for a yes. ginger. What can I say? <laughs> I think we all are. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe they have those in that part of the country. I don't know. I'd have to look at the range map for tricolored heron again. That's. Or, uh, yeah, because I don't think I've even ever seen a tricolored heron, come to think of it. But this is not the burning podcast. This is the <laughs> this is a wine podcast. We, we can't get well, distracted with birding. Well, you know, it's just they have birds on the label, and you know about birds, and so it's just, it's interesting, but I don't know. I, I like it. I like the little red-looking, I'm assuming that's supposed to be like a setting sun maybe in the back. But yeah, just, that's my I, guess. Yeah, the whole thing just has it has it does it has a very like Japanese or Chinese like vibe to it. Um, yeah, the only thing I don't like is that 
American blush line on the front, but that font, that just white, it's just, it's very distracting. Like it pulls my eye right down to the bottom there, which I don't appreciate, but everything else I enjoy. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Any, <laughs> any more commentary you'd like to share no, before you get back to so. drinking I, for the I, evening? I'm bummed. I wish that I was there trying this. I feel like I've heard you talk about this before. It's okay. There'll be more. <laughs> oh, that reminds me, we got to figure out when we're doing the prickly pear bottling. I know. I'm working with James on it right now. Cool beans. Uh, I'm probably going to have to come out on a, a weekday, which is unfortunate because I'll have to work in the meantime, but oh well. So we're, well, we're trying to figure it out, though. Well, uh, keep us posted, and then we'll uh, drink something afterwards. Sounds and good. And record and something for I'm season two. I'm assuming that that prickly pear wine is garbage. I have no hopes for it to be good. Hey, it could be really good vinegar. It could be really good vinegar. And at that point, we will have salads. So many, so we, many salads. We will have the, the best salads. <laughs> They're huge. And we'll make the hamburgers pay for them. <laughs> Perfect. Oh. Perfect. So, no, uh... They're coastline birds. Uh, Tennessee's landlocked. Tennessee is landlocked. So um, Lisa uh, pulled up the the map. It looks like it's an irregular summer visitor, um, huh. according to this pink dashed line. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they're not native to Tennessee, so it looks hmm. pretty. That's the reason. Yeah, maybe they just maybe that person just has like you know whoever made the wine or whatever just really likes that type of bird. I don't know. Either way, I approve. I think it's a really beautiful label. Agreed. Agreed. What do you <laughs> think? She only says three words at once. <laughs> <laughs> but that was three. <laughs> anyway, Megan, we'll let you go. Alright, you guys have fun. We will try. Alright, bye. Bye. Mostly your what? Just trying to make sure I get edited out. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell you if I've been edited out of some of them or not. Some of them you weren't there for. Well, I know that. But anyway, speaking of not being edited out, uh, tell us your thoughts on this wine. I think it smells like mangoes and peaches, and I think it tastes like those two things plus some passion fruit or something. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, tropical pie. It is kind of my my thoughts on on the pie. I would I wouldn't mind it as a brandy. Oh, that could be fun too. Mm -hmm. Like the flavors in a brandy would be good. Mm. I'm thinking we're already in rocking chairs on in a summer afternoon when it's nice out in the shade. Like if this were just a little bit colder, I think it would be like shining right now. Well, we could put this in the ice chest and, and see how it goes a little later. History of winemaking in Tennessee. European settlers had brought grape growing and winemaking in Tennessee in the mid-1800s. After the Civil War, the uh, production of wine was a thriving business. In fact, uh, there was an author, J.A. Kilbrew, or Killebrew. That just is a great name. <laughs> it's fantastic. That needs to be a beer name. Killebrew. Somehow uh, I don't think the TTB will like that. 
Probably not, even though it's spelled uh, K-I-L-L-E-B-R-E-W. So you might be able to get away with it. Anyway, he devoted an entire chapter to grape cultivation in his 1874 book entitled The Introduction to the Resources of Tennessee, uh, which he reported that in 1870, uh, the production of Giles County for wine was at 569 gallons. Which isn't all that much, but... No, that really isn't. Uh, it's a good start. Uh, but in 1880, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, there were 1,128 Tennessee acres planted in grapes, producing 64,767 gallons of wine, with a value of approximately 90,000. Um, of course, Prohibition killed it, like it killed everything else, because Prohibition sucks. Because we just can't seem to do anything right. Yeah, that's that sounds about right for. Um, so viticulture was dead in Tennessee essentially until the 1970s, uh, in terms of wine production. Although grapes were being grown in Tennessee shortly after World War II, but uh, those were Concord for juice production by and large. Um, there was also grape research starting in the 1970s at the West Tennessee Experiment Station at Jackson and the Middle Tennessee Experiment Station at Spring Hill, the Plateau Experiment Station at Crossville, and the Plant and Soil Field Laboratory uh, at Knoxville. And then there was also production that began in 1974, uh, but that was in Alabama. I don't know why. Oh, because it was under the Tennessee Valley Authority Agricultural Research Farm, which somehow was in Alabama. I don't understand logic there, but uh, okay. It was all over the South. Say again? The TVA was all over the South. The what, what, what? Tennessee Valley Association. It was like part of the rebuilding job stuff that somebody made. Some president. I don't remember which one. Oh! There you go. Okay. Cody's got on. <laughs> that makes sense I don't now. Know which president it was. I want to say FDR. Yeah, I think you're right. Sounds like an FDR thing. He was good about that sort of thing. Yeah. The first modern attempts to establish vineyards for the commercial production of grapes was taking place in the mid-1970s. In 1978, there are 125 acres of grapes in Tennessee. Uh, the state's first documented crush, uh, which I love how it says here on the website, or harvest in parentheses, which is like, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> you're, you're making it known to non-wine people what this is, which is actually the point of this whole podcast. So uh, I'm digressing like I always do. Uh, so 1980, uh, when the first Tennessee winers were licensed, and by 1992, there were 84 growers in the state with over 270 acres devoted to grape production. Um, 1973 was the uh, organization of the Tennessee Viticultural and Enological Society. There's 200 members now. It was instrumental in the passage of the 1977 Grape and Wine Law, which basically removed wineries from the 1939 local option legislation and reduced the cost of licensing to $50. Nice. Yeah. How much How much are licenses here in Arizona? The least expensive winery license you can get is a farm winery license, and that's $200. Wow, Tennessee's got it going. And then all the licenses just go up from there, and it's not uncommon to have bars paying 5 Rumor has it even six figures for a license. Jeez. 
because they're on the open market and there's only so many of them. Mm, capitalism. Uh, so there was a state tax of five cents per gallon that was levied on wine produced in Tennessee from Tennessee products. Um, at the time, no winery could sell at retail more than 5,000 gallons or 20% of the wine it produced annually, whichever was greater. 1983, new legislation increased that uh, to 15,000 gallon, gallons that could be sell, sold on site. And that wine produced in Tennessee must be made from not less than 85% Tennessee produced crops. Uh, later law reduced that to 75% and permitted new winers to use 50% Tennessee products for the first three years of operation. There was a viticulture advisory board that was created in 1985. In 2001, there were 24 licensed wineries operating in Tennessee. The first licensed winery in Tennessee apparently was Highland Manor Winery, uh, which opened near Jamestown in 1980 and has been open ever since. There's one AVA in Tennessee, and that is a small portion of the Mississippi Delta AVA, which extends into the southwestern part of the state all the way down through Mississippi and parts of Alabama. That's uh, Tennessee wine in a nutshell. But uh, this is a nice wine for this time of day with the mountains glowing in the in the dusk. I actually mm. drank a fruit juice this morning that was called Tropics Fruit Juice, something or other. And this tastes a lot like that. I wish I had the bottle, but I threw it out. But it had pineapple and passion fruit and mango. Yeah, this is... Pineapple this maybe too, huh? I can see pineapple in this. Just, yeah, just a, like hint. a hint. Like that's like, maybe like the, because it's a little sweet, that's maybe... Yeah. I know, I, I like this. This is, this is a good closer for... Is this considered um, a white wine or an orange wine? Uh, this is labeled as an American blush wine. So it's a... So it's a rosé-ish. The difference between a blush and a rosé is that a blush is over that uh, percentage of sweetness, I think, according to labeling law. So it's a rosé that's sweet? Yeah, okay. basically. Because um, it's got kind of an orangish color, that's why I asked. That's coming uh, partly from age, I'm guessing, because um, this is probably an older bottle. There's not a vintage listed. But it also could be the grape because, you know, some grapes do produce a more orangish salmon-y tint. Yeah. And the rosé is like Nebbiolo is infamous for that. Yeah. Um, so maybe Zinthiana or, or uh, Norton are, are like that in general. Could be. Not having any experience whatsoever with Zinthiana other than what's in this glass, uh, I couldn't honestly tell you if this was normal for that grape or not. This is not corked. Thank goodness. That yeah. would be awkward. It's a fake cork. Yeah, that would be especially awkward. So I thought, since this is a special episode, that uh, I'd record the opinions of a few other people who are tasting it. Hello. You can introduce yourself. I am Lisa. Way to be vague. <laughs> I'm Lisa Street. I'm the winemaker at Eridus Wine Company here in Wilcox, Arizona. So this is 100% of a grape called Zinthiana. It's a cross between the Zinthiana clone of Norton and Zinfandel, semi-sweet white blush. So it's called a white Zinthiana. A little floral, a little chemical. What do you mean by chemical? Um, it's got sort of a solventy character to it, but I get that in a lot of wines, so I think I'm a little sensitive to it. 
Oh, that's quite sweet. Put it on the medium low end for acid. Um, I'm gonna go with, as far as sweet wines go, probably a medium level of sweetness. It's not anywhere near a dessert level, but it's definitely present. I'd say it's like a lily, the sweetness that I'm getting, or that floral note, and um, maybe like an orange, uh, orange oil, like the skin of an orange. Um, as far as fruit goes, I'd kind of put this towards like the apricot camp. Hmm, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, there's some bitterness to it, but that adds some, that adds something nice to counteract that sweetness. I'd give it kind of a medium length. I don't think you're looking for anything too much more than that with a wine like this. Yeah. Yeah. Could pound this by the pool, no problem. Go ahead and pound the rest of it. You're welcome to. All righty. Chuck, 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 chuck. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. 50. So this is episode 50. Next episode is 51, which is DC. And then I got a couple bonus episodes for you coming up before we go into season two. So uh, stay tuned. Until next time. Well, there's not going to be a glass clinking sound because these are plastic Govino cups. Uh. The perils of living in an RV. Yes. Well, make America Grape again. Wink. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. I'm Gary. You can find me on Instagram at greater than wines, on Facebook at facebook.com slash greater than wines, and by email at greater than wines at gmail.com. <laughs>